All right. Well, again, uh, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here at Lower Town, and really glad to be able to be here with you and worship with you this morning and to be able to give in, get into God's word. And so um, if you're new here, if you're just visiting, uh, again, welcome. Uh, we are in a series called Prayers. We've just been looking at different prayers in the Bible, and so, uh, which is typically what we would call maybe a topical series uh, where we're, we're looking at prayers. The topic would be prayer, and yet we're going to, to be looking at a passage of Scripture, and we've been doing this now for six weeks, and this, will, this series will take us into the second week in January, January 8th. Um, and so we're just going to continue, continue with that. Again, about the, the lights flickering, I, I apologize. Um, they had a power, a transformer blew up last week and it, and it got fixed, but something, it screwed something up here. And so they're, they're working on that. Um, and so the lights are on full blast and there's no way to do anything to them. I can't turn, I have no control over anything. So, um, if, you know, I needed to do like the, the like Netflix warning, you know, like strobing lights may cause seizures or whatever. I mean, I need to give you that warning here this morning. So, um, all right. I do, I do have, uh, I was going to have, take the time, but I think just, just for the sake of time, we're not, I'm not going to do it, but I was going to have you turn and meet someone around you and, and ask about uh, a nickname maybe that you had growing up, either when you, what your parents called you or grandparents or, uh, in high school, uh, my, my dad, called me Bug. Uh, I was always Bug or Bugger. I don't know why. Uh, he told a story that I was in the doctor's office when I was a little kid, and, and, there, and I, I, was, I guess it was one of my first words. I was in the office, at the doctor's office, and there was a, a bug on the wall, and I said Bug, and apparently that, that stuck. Whether it was true or not, I don't know, but he called me Bug. Um, he called my uh, sister Miss America. Um, I don't know why. And um, just kidding, I love my sister. And uh, and he called my brother Jake. And and it wasn't until we were at my my dad's funeral uh, where where my brother told this story where he one of his friends said, "Why does your dad call you Jake?" And he was like, "You know, I don't know. My brother's name is Matthew, Matt. I don't know. So I don't know why he called him Jake." And he said, "My brother was. He's like, I don't know why he called me Jake." And so he went to my dad and said, "Dad, why do you?" why do you call me Jake? And my dad was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know if it was just like a, he just wanted to name him Jake or what, I don't know, but he, my dad always called my brother Jake. Um, and so I had a reason for asking about nicknames. Oh, that's what it was. Because in this prayer, we're gonna be looking at Mary and Mary's gonna have this nickname, if you will, that's gonna be blessed. Uh, and, and she's gonna be called blessed. And so we're, that's gonna be part of this, of this sermon and part of this passage that we're gonna be looking at. Um, and so the passage, specifically the prayer that we're looking at is going to be in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. Um, and, and why is it called the Magnificat, right? This is uh, Latin, Magnificat, uh, Aminia Mia Domine, or Dominium. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is uh, a magnification, right? And Mary says this, we're going to get into the, the words and the passage here in a minute. Well, when she uses that word magnify, Henry always laughs at me. He has a, uh, um, oh, brother. This is why he always laughs at me, because I can never think of the word. It's a microscope, a little microscope. That's a little portable microscope. And I always call it a magnifying glass. Just, where's your magnifying glass? You know, it's not a magnifying dummy dad. You know, he doesn't say that, but, right? It's like, yeah, it's a microscope. But, but when you magnify something, right, whether it's with a microscope or a magnifying glass, it doesn't make the thing bigger. Right? The, when I'm looking at an ant through a, mic, or a, a magnifying glass, it doesn't make the ant bigger. It just makes my view of him bigger. 
And and that's what happens in scripture. When we have this word of, I magnify you, or my soul magnifies you. I wanna wanna make you bigger and larger in my own view of who you are. I wanna make you big in my life and in my soul and my spirit, as Mary's gonna say. And as we do, usually every week, uh, at Lower Town here is we, we talk a lot about context, right? And again, Augustine, St. Augustine in the, in the third, fourth century that he was talking about what is, the, what is the greatest rule with biblical interpretation? How do we study the Bible? Um, and he gave three words to that. And it was context, number two, context, number three, context. Context, context, context. And so we, we try to get a little bit of context, just giving us a little bit of understanding before we just jump into the text. And so I'm not giving a whole lot, just going back a few verses in this passage into Luke uh, chapter one, verses 39 through 45. So just leading right up to the uh, prayer here. It says this, in those days, Mary arose. Again, the word arose or arise might not mean a whole lot. And it, and it doesn't necessarily, but in context, it's really important. If you were here last week, uh, one of our other elders, Paul, preached on Hannah's prayer. And there's a lot of overlap between Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament, praying for a son, and now Mary's prayer. Almost, there's there's identical language that's used by Mary quoting Hannah. And and, and even in this, if you remember, Paul last week um, just mentioned Hannah stood up. There was something about her making a decision. She's she's being even kind of mocked by by Eli, by the priest. Are you are you drunk? You're you're praying like a madman. She's like, no no no, I'm not. I'm 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 sobbing. I'm I'm praying. And it says that she stood up. She made a, a move uh, forward. It's like it's a change of scenery, and that's kind of what's happening here with the same word of arise, of standing up. That there's purpose. And this is driving the redemptive story forward the same way that it did with Hannah. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered a house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her cousin. And Elizabeth, we're not going to get into whole her story or her context, but Elizabeth and Zechariah are very old and they had been praying Probably, we don't know, but probably praying Hannah's prayer over and over and over again for a child. And God grants them a child. Who we're going to learn is going to be John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And so she, Elizabeth, is, 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 uh, is pregnant with a, a child that God has promised, who's going to be in some ways a prophet and is going to prepare the way for Jesus. It says, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, which I think is a strong case for the sanctity of life, right here. This child leaps, John the Baptist, probably wasn't called John the Baptist in her womb, but uh, he learned that nickname later. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed, and we're gonna see that word again, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me, right? So, so Elizabeth clearly already knows the story. Mary's said some things to Elizabeth or the story has trickled uh, around her family and maybe her community that Elizabeth is pregnant with this child. And now Mary, an angel, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're gonna, you're gonna have the Messiah is gonna be born through you. And so she knows this. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord She's calling an unborn child her Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is he 
that blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So now let's get into this Magnificat where Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Again, I referenced this a little bit that she is a student of the word. Just like any Jewish girl would have been, a young woman at that time would have been a student of the word, uh, going to um, uh, the temple, hearing the reading of the word and the law, uh, that she would have been very familiar with the Torah, with the first five books of the Bible, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we would call the Pentateuch, five books. And so she, she would have been well-versed in that, but, but then I would imagine probably like any young girl who grows up worshiping God, wants to go find women of the faith. And so she does, and she studies, and she clearly knows the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And she knows this. And so she studied this and had these scriptures memorized. And so this same exact phrase of my soul magnifies the Lord is exactly when Hannah is given now her child Samuel. And now she goes to the temple because she says, Father, I just want a child, but I will dedicate that child to you. He will be yours. He will serve in the temple, period. Right, and so it's been in First Samuel, so when the child was weaned, when it's just this young child, when the time had come that she goes to the temple to give her child to the Lord. And I can't imagine, right? We just had these little children up here. And I can't imagine a new mother, a young mother saying, here is this child. I'm gonna like, give him to the temple, give him to the priest to raise him and nurture him and raise him in the Lord. And Hannah's first words are, my heart exalts in the Lord. I don't know if that would be my first phrase. And it is the exact same phrase that now Mary has as she's greeted by her cousin, Elizabeth. And you can see a little bit of the overlap here. Hannah prays for a child and her prayer is in response to receiving this long awaited child. Elizabeth, or excuse me, Hannah had waited and waited and waited so long to have a child. And while Mary is in no hurry, to get pregnant, she still rejoices at the long-awaited child of the Messiah, which we will look at specifically next week. And likewise, Hannah's Samuel was being dropped off at a temple for service, for performing sacrifices. And in a sense, Mary knows that one day her child, Jesus, will be dropped off, not at a temple to perform sacrifices, but to be the sacrifice which kind of opens the question, did Mary know what was happening? This meme always kind of pops up every, every Christmas season uh, with the song, you know, Mary, did you know, right? And then this meme of Batman slapping Robin across the face. Yes, Luke 1, 20, right? Yes, Mary knew, stop the song, it's annoying. But okay, let, did Mary know? Uh, she knew some things, yes, right? That Gabriel came and said, uh, this is gonna be the Messiah. But if the disciples, his closest followers, uh, not even just up until his death, but even after his resurrection, even after his ascension, the disciples are like, now what? <laughs> right, what, do we, what do we do? They didn't even understand fully what the Messiah really was gonna be. Thought it was gonna be about this ethnic restoration of, of Israel, the nation of Israel. And Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get it. It's about everybody, everywhere, all people, all nations, all Gentiles, all ethnic. So did she know? Well, did she know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? No, she didn't know that. Nobody could know that, right? So it's still applicable. The song still works. Take it easy, Batman. I do want to point this out, though. What did Mary know? 
In Luke chapter two, we're given a little bit of insight. So they, that is the shepherds, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And again, I've preached on this before, and and so I'm not going to get into this, but these had to be, according to the Mishnah and Talmud, these extra biblical uh, books in the Torah of of law and regulations that that in the area of Bethlehem, uh, you were not allowed to graze your sheep. And so there shouldn't be shepherds, there shouldn't be sheep, and that these sheep and these shepherds would have been priest shepherds, that these would have been sheep and flock that were destined for temple sacrifice. And so now you have Jesus who's born in a manger where sacrificial lambs would have been kept. And when he had seen him, they spread the word, again, these priestly shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's nothing in, these, in this text that's, that's there friv- frivolously. Fr- frivolously. Frivor- what am I saying? Frivolously. Sure. It's there on purpose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mary treasure. How would Luke know this? Again, again, Luke is not there. Luke is not an eyewitness in the manger. He's not there when this is happening. But Luke is a researcher and he does his work. And it says in the beginning of of, of the gospel of Luke that Luke, he's writing this letter to his friend Theophilus and he's taking eyewitness accounts. And most likely Luke is interviewing Mary. Now an older woman in her 50s maybe now after seeing everything that happened. And now Mary is remembering and recounting the story of what happened. And she said, there was a young girl and I didn't, I didn't fully understand, but I knew something was happening. I knew something was symbolic with these things. She, she ponders them up in her heart. Did she fully understand everything? Mary, did you know? No, but she knew. She pondered. She knew something was different. Second point I have here is Mary calling Jesus my Savior. It says this again in that text, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Just maybe a textual thing. Um, soul and spirit are not different things. Uh, this is what's called Hebrew parallelism in, in, uh, in poetry. And so that's what's happening. He's just, just stating it again. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. One of, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the favorite titles for Jesus is the Son of David, the Son of David, the Son of David. Why is that? Because all the way back in 2 Samuel, there's a promise made to King David that someone from his line, a descendant of his, is going to sit on the throne forever. And as, he, and as Jesus is doing his ministry, he's called the Son of David. And, and even the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these lawyers who know the law, Right, they call him son of David, and, 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 and who is the son of the Messiah, Jesus asked them, or who, who is the Messiah? They say, oh, he's the son of David. They said, well, how, how can he be the son of David when David himself calls him Lord? And he talked, and Jesus quotes Psalm 110, one, the Lord said unto my Lord, that's why it's translated in English, but Yahweh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God of the universe, said to my Lord. Who is the Lord of the king? <laughs> Oh, nobody is. It has to be the Messiah. That, he, that King David is saying that this is going to be a descendant of mine, but he is king. He is my Lord. And likewise, now you have Mary. Now we have, we just sang about it, the son of Mary, who's going to magnify the Lord, but also my Savior. 
It's unique, interesting language that Mary is praying. If I know, maybe, I know some of you grew up Catholic, um, that, that by her proclaiming right here that I need a savior, she's clearly implying that she needs a savior, that she has sins that she needs forgiven. And I can tell you right now that if King David and if the blessed mother Mary need a savior, so do we. We are all in need of a savior. We have all fallen short, including Mary, clearly including David. Moving on. Third point here, she will be called blessed? <laughs> Question mark. I mean, what, like, <laughs> all right, let's look at the text. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices at God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I'll get into the blessed here in a minute. Of seeing the humble estate of, of what other translations I think rightly say, of my, my female slave, my bond servant, right? There's something here that she's saying, I, 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 have, I, I have no say in this. I, I, I am a part of the redemptive story that God, you have uh, sovereignly placed me in. I don't fully understand it, but you see me. You see my humble estate. You recognize me and you're showing me grace and mercy here in this redemptive story of, of providing a savior, providing a Messiah. The other night, it, it just made me think of, and, and I know, uh, well, thankfully, some families are visiting, so I'm not the old guy in the room now today, no offense. Uh, but it made me think of uh, the movie Ben-Hur, All right, which again, well, it was even before my time, but a classic movie, right? Um, Charlton Heston, right? Uh, Charlton, is that his name? Is that right? Charlton, yeah, okay, sure. Charlton Heston. Uh, plays Judah Ben-Hur, right? And I'm not gonna get into the whole storyline, but at this moment in this scene, he is a slave. He's, he's under the Roman uh, rule that he's in a, in a, in a, he's being just drugged along with, with many other slaves and they just crossed this desert and they're just, they're all just uh, thirsty, right? They're, they're just, they're, they're going to die if they don't drink some water. And they finally come upon a well and, and the Roman soldiers, like they start whipping the slaves and they say, right, the, the soldiers and the horses first. And you can just see the, the agony on these slaves' faces as they're seeing horses drink water from these buckets. They're just, they're dying. And, and, I, and I, I don't remember, I need to rewatch the movie, but, but Ben-Hur, he, he finally, someone finally gives him some water and he goes to take it and a Roman soldier grabs it. He says, none for this one, right? And I don't know why, I don't know what he did uh, where they didn't like him. I don't remember that part of it. But in his agony and pain, he just falls into the dust and the dirt of the ground and he just, you can just see, he's just, he's just given up. He's done, he's dead, he's dead. And then this moment, again, I know this isn't scriptural. I know this is just a movie. But you have someone who's clearly Jesus. He's never named, nothing happened. But the, the tenor and the tone changes. It gets a little bit brighter. The music changes. And someone disregards what the Roman soldiers say and gives him, sees him, right? And it just made me think of that, of that, that this, is, this is us, again, metaphorically, that we all are in the dirt and the dust, that we are, we are so thirsty, that our lips are, are parched, we are dead. And Jesus sees us. That's exactly the same language that we see here with Mary. You looked on the humble estate of his servant. For he has looked in the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Right, Elizabeth said that you, you are blessed among women. 
All generations are going to call me blessed? What? Because I'm telling you, I, don't, I just don't think culturally, especially back then, a couple thousand years ago, having a young woman pregnant who's not married, I don't know what the first adjective that people would have thought of Mary would have been, you're blessed. I don't, I don't think that's would have been what they would have said. There was a, a, a Vine or a TikTok I saw a while back uh, where, where it's a guy, he's, um, he's acting like Joseph, and he says, and he says uh, hey, Mary, I made you this pie. And she goes, oh, thanks. She goes, oh, wait, how did, we don't even have an oven. And he goes, see how that sounds, Mary? <laughs> it's just this, this joke, right? <laughs> now, thankfully, an angel came to, came to Joseph as well. And so at least she had an advocate with her husband. Well, you can imagine, I, I, can't, I can't, I can only imagine what the stares, the thoughts, the language that would have been tossed Mary's way. And yet this is true. And unlike Hannah's prayer that we could all pray, we can't pray this prayer, right? We don't, we don't recite this, but only Mary can pray this prayer. We're not praying from now on, all generations will call me blessed. No, wrong, that's Mary. And this is held true. Again, if you grew up Catholic, you, you, you have a blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, that's, like, that's, a, that's a big thing. And this is very true. That God again sees her humble estate and says, you will be blessed. Moving on here, his name is holy. Holy is his name. Again, this isn't an adjective. It's saying that you can call him holy. That is his name. Looked at this a couple weeks ago of Jesus praying, hallowed be thy name. Name is holy. See this in this passage. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. There is a reverent fear of God, at least up to this point. For the Israelites looking at Yahweh, there is a fear that they are constantly being reminded of Moses and this mountain that they can't even touch the mountain. Not even their cattle can touch the mountain. They'll be struck dead because God is present on the top of this mountain and he's going to give the laws. He's, there's a fear of God, a respect for God. And, and Mary is bringing that in, but things are about to change. This Messiah who is God is about to take on flesh, become incarnate God dwelling with us and he's going to die and shed his blood so that we, our sinners, are justified freely. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we can boldly approach the throne of God. What? There's this reverent fear. Isaiah chapter six, one of my favorite passages. Actually, this was maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I um, was in Illinois, normal Illinois. And I was a, a junior high Bible teacher. Don't recommend that. Um, it was a rough go. Junior high, that's what we called it in Illinois, middle school. And I had just finished reading a book called um, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Eric and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. And I was just in this mode of fear of the holiness of God. I just was um, in awe of, of the otherness and, and beauty and separateness of who God is and was. And I was teaching Isaiah chapter six, verses one through three, and it starts off by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted or high and lifted up, uh, is the King James uh, version. And, uh, 
And I remember I'm, 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 I'm reading this passage and I'm really getting into this. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm like in fear and trembling talking about the holiness of God. And some punk kid from the back just goes, ha ha, God's high. And I lost it, right? I've never sent a kid to the principal's office except in that moment, right? I was like, you're, you're going to the principal's office because you're, you're a jerk, right? Uh, and you're lucky that God doesn't strike you dead. You know what I mean, I was like, I'm gonna, this is bad, man. You don't, you don't mock the holiness of God, right? I was probably not gracious, obviously. There's something about God. And let me explain. This is maybe my pet peeve. A lot of you know I, I teach a systematic theology class for our Leadership Development Institute. It says this in verse two, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces because they dare not look at the holiness of God. With two wings, they cover their feet because it represents their creatureliness. And with two wings, they fly and they hover over in the throne room of God and they call out to another, right? So you have Yahweh, God, sitting in the middle and you have these uh, seraphim flying on either side of them and they're, cow they're calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this one over here is like, no, 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 man, listen to this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, and this has been happening for a very long time and it is happening right now. And notice that their adjective of choice here, again, a repetition within Hebrew literature and poetry is very powerful. And the only time, if, you're, if you read the Bible, Jesus will say, verily, verily, or truly, truly. It's adding emphasis. And the only word in the Hebrew scriptures that we get three times is this, holy, holy, holy. And notice they don't say merciful, 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 loving, 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 kind, kind. It's holy. Something about the holiness of God that is Everything that he does, it's all encompassing. It's who he is. His name is holy. And Mary recognizes that. And then he sees to it that Israel is remembered. Luke, uh, this passage here, again, says this in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. This idea of arm, what is with, with this arm? That he has shown strength with his arm. It's, it's taking hold with his arm. It's taking care. But not just like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to see to it. I'm going I'm to do this thing. In, in uh, January, I mentioned this in the weekly email that I'm going to be, uh, we are going to be the uh, Leadership Development Institute spending a, a weekend um, at, a, at the retreat center. And the theme of that weekend is big God, big words. And so I've been tasked with solving predestination in 30 minutes. <laughs> Stupid, right? Uh, but, uh, but I'm going to be focusing a lot on the providence of God. And then that is this word, providence, the second time now using Latin, of, is, is pro video, see before. But it's so much more than that. It's God seeing to it. God is going to see to the redemption of his people. He's not going to leave that up to chance. He's not even going to leave that up to me and you. He's gonna to see to it that his son doesn't die in vain and people are gonna be chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter two. It's a see to itness. He's gonna carry us along with the strength of his arm. We see that in, uh, in, with Abraham, I think maybe I have this passage. Let me, let me uh, I'm gonna come, well, let me just read this and I'm gonna get into Abraham. He says, he, brought, uh, he has brought down 
the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate and see the providence, the sovereignty of God. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so looking at the story of Abraham, this is Genesis chapter two, where Abraham has just been uh, asked by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And so Abraham it, it took the, the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and, and he, carried, uh, he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went together and Isaac spoke up to his father, Abraham. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together, provide. That's providia. But again, this isn't just seeing before, it's seeing to it, that he's gonna see to it that God will provide and God does provide a lamb. God does provide a sacrifice. And to the point where Abraham then names the mountain, the Lord will provide, Yahweh will see to it. And that's what Mary is exclaiming in this prayer of all these lists of this arm that he's gonna provide for Israel, not just a land or a nation or a people group. He's gonna provide a Messiah where all people will be chosen according to 1 Peter chapter one. All people will be grafted in and become one people that will worship this Messiah. The Lord will see to it. Mary's prayer that we now on this side of the cross, we get to look back and we get to say, the Lord saw to it, he did it. So in gospel application this morning, he is worthy of the Magnificat. I don't know if that works from English to Latin there. And he's worthy of magnification. My soul magnifies the Lord because he saw to it that we would be redeemed by the blood of the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That was a phrase that John the Baptist would say of his cousin when he starts his ministry. And secondly, maybe some of you just need to hear this this morning, that he sees you. He does. The same way that he saw Mary and Elizabeth and Hannah and so many more, he sees your humble estate. But what I love about Jesus <laughs> is he doesn't just see it with his eyes. He doesn't just observe your suffering, your struggles, your lowly estate. He takes on flesh and he enters into it and he himself is humbled. He is humbled. The king of kings is humbled. He's born in a manger so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world so that we could have everlasting life, so that we could be exalted and we can have a meal together with the lamb by his grace and mercy through faith alone in Christ. We're gonna have a time of communion. Uh, we do this every week at Hope Lower Town and, and um, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but I would ask you if you're a follower of Jesus. If, if you like Mary can say, yes, he is my Lord and my savior, then I would love for you to uh, take place and partake of these elements with us. Nothing magical or or special about these elements. It's, it's a wafer and juice. But we get to sit here and spiritually enter into this meal together and remember the finished work of Christ in the cross. We get to remember 
that Jesus humbles himself and he takes on flesh, human flesh, that we could have everlasting life. And so we take these elements, the bread that represents his body that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us, so that we can be both saint and sinner. So we can, uh, the great exchange of Jesus putting his righteousness on us and at the same time taking our sinful nature upon himself and paying for sin once for all. And so the worship team is gonna play three songs this morning. And I think it's very fitting the songs they have chosen of looking at this prayer of Mary about this newborn baby that it was the reason why we're celebrating Christmas and the Advent season. And so again, if you're just a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to partake of these elements as the worship team is playing. Feel free to grab them and, and take a seat and pray and worship and take those elements as you see fit. And um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are holy. You are unapproachable, ineffable light. And yet, because of you writing yourself into the story of yourself taking on flesh and dying for our sin, we can now approach you. Approach you boldly in our time of need. Again, knowing because you, you see us, you hear us, and you know. So God, if there are people in here who are just really struggling, uh, and, and a lot of people who really struggle with Christmas season, not because of what it represents, but because of getting together with family, family they, they have a difficult time getting together with, or, or just family they've been estranged with, or they don't have family, they're just alone. This is a difficult time. And God, you know what it's like to be alone. You know what it's like to be abandoned. And so would we find grace from you and mercy to help in a time of need? And God, would we just see you this Christmas as worthy, worthy of honor, worthy of worship, worthy of praise, and that our souls would magnify you, that we would actually get a better image and picture of who you are this Christmas season. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.